friends, and welcome to the Walnut Creek Baptist Church podcast. It is our prayer that you find today's message to be both encouraging and edifying for your life. If you would like to connect, we would love to hear from you, and there are a couple of ways to do that. You can email us at office at wcbaptist.com, or the best way is to download our church app by searching Walnut Creek Baptist in the Apple and Google Play app stores, and it will be like you're a part of our church from wherever you're listening at. We look forward to hearing from you and hope that you are so blessed by today's message that you will share it with a friend or leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Right now, let's open our hearts and ears to receive the message God has for us. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Romans. This is going to be an interesting series. If you'll hold on to your seat there, it'll be at least 50 messages. And you're going, oh my, really? <laughs> but it's a book of the Bible that I believe I personally has never preached through all of it. Uh, having been here 24 years, I've done some referencing to Romans, but I've never gone through a full series. It is really the doctrinal book that defines the church, Christianity. And it's a book that I believe we can all learn from. It covers a lot of controversial things. Some non-controversial. It covers the issue of sexuality right out of the gate. We cover the, the subject of grace or election. That's covered. We cover how the church should operate. We covered how uh, people should behave themselves. And we talk about grace and compassion. We have the what we call the legalist or the, the Pharisees have one position. We have the Greeks have another position or the Gentiles. And there's this constant conflict there because the church of Rome was primarily at the writing of this book, Gentile, even though it was started by the Jewish people. They were they were um, they were forced out of Rome and the church became primarily a Gentile church. And then after a while, some of the the some of the Jews matriculated back into the church. So there's that constant battle between us versus them. Kind of interesting to do that, read about that. But the big idea in this message is we look at this introductory letter. What I like about the letters, and you know, when you write letters today, as well, we were taught, and I guess you're still taught that in college or grade school, how to write a letter. I don't know if it's just emails anymore. I have no idea. But the way we were taught a letter is that you start with dear whatever your name is, right? Dear whatever. But in the ancient world, you started a letter introducing yourself, and you ended it. To them, So it starts out, Paul, a servant, he introduces himself, and at the end he says, at the verse, in the introduction in verse number 7, to the church at Rome, or to the people at Rome. So we know this isn't a letter. Letter is, we call the epistle. Epistle is the Greek word, it means letter. There's a letter that is being written to this church. This is a church that Paul never visited up to this point. He hasn't been there, he's heard of it. It more than likely was started as a result of Pentecost. We know Aquila and Priscilla had some influence there. And this church was started. It was started in an area prior to extreme persecution. It was a church of Rome. Some people believe it wasn't a church because he addresses it to the people. It might have been several house churches. It may not have been one church. But we're going to, at least for the sake of continuity call it the church at rome even though it may have been four or five 
So we open this with a statement. It says here in verse number one, Paul identifying himself, ladies and gentlemen, by his Gentile name, not his Jewish name. We'll talk about that as this series goes through. That's pretty important, by the way. A servant, we get the Greek word doulos, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. He goes on in these introductory statements to define the gospel is for the Jew and the Gentile. And he says, you should have got it. We missed it. I want to preach a message I've simply titled this morning in his introductory series, the book of Romans, Righteousness Needed. The big idea is it was right in front of us all the time being the gospel. Let's pray together. Can we do that? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for what you're doing. As we look at this introductory message, the opening of a letter, an epistle to a church that was being formed, a church that would have great influence on evangelization in France, Spain, Rome, and even later on the British Isles. Lord, fill me with the Spirit. Let this message not be some academic, historical, biblical exegesis exercise, but let it also be a message that speaks to us, that convicts us, that encourages us this morning. Lord, help us as we go through this book to be humble, to be a servant, to put aside everything that encumbers our minds this morning and during this series to love God, to love others, to see the gospel presented and people turn from darkness unto light. The salvation of souls, the changing of a community, the changing of a church. Guide and direct and fill me with your spirit this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. So we look at this text, and as I shared here, the big idea is. What Paul is actually saying, even in these first seven verses, in the introductory letter, you should have got this. He mentions a couple of things. In fact, let me just go there. Look at verse number two. Are you got the Bible? Verse number two. In this series, I will not put every verse up there because I would like you to bring a Bible. You can use your phone, your iPad, whatever. But if you don't, that's okay. But the Bible, it says in verse number two, well, let me read one into two. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand. Do you see that? Past tense. Through the prophets. He's right. In the Holy Scripture, he's saying, you should have understood that the gospel was through Christ. It was promised beforehand. And it's just not for the Jews. It's for the Greeks or the Gentiles as well. It was for everybody. Concerning His Son. They didn't get it. 
Now, the church at Rome got it because they're saved. They're glory. They've been saved. But he's saying, this message I am going to give, if you can sum up Romans, it's about salvation. And he goes in great detail to talk about that. Concerning his son, who descended from David, there it is, according to the flesh. You didn't get it. By and large, it was missed by the Jews and by the Greeks. And then we find in verse number four and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Three times in three verses, he said, you should have gotten it. Now, they did. But he's telling the culture, he's telling the the gospel is both from the very beginning, from the Abrahamic covenant and all and through you, all the world shall be blessed. Genesis 11, chapter one and two, verse number one and two. He said, but you missed it. You missed it. It reminds me recently, my wife and I. One on a cruise. And one of the things about a cruise is interesting if you've ever been on one. They have excursions. They stop. We stopped at five or six different countries. We were in South America. We were all over the place. Got to see a lot of different cultures and from tour spots to some places that were pretty dilapidated. But one of the things when you go on a cruise is they have excursions. And when you go on an excursion, that means going off the boat, and they have like tours, or you can go swimming or snorkeling. That's what we did. They tell you in your stateroom, when you leave, you better be back by X time. Some of you have been on a cruise, you're not in your head, you know what I'm talking about. And then when you, they give an announcement, we're going to blow a whistle 30 minutes before the ship leaves, you better be back. And then. When you walk out, they have this facial recognition because they don't want somebody coming back on the boat that didn't leave the boat. If you understand, that's probably a safety issue. You want to make sure nobody gets on board that wasn't supposed to be there. So they kind of scan your face and you walk off and they make sure that's you. And then at about 15 minutes before they're supposed to go, they get a list of all the people who haven't returned. And if you don't come back, guess what? They leave you in a foreign country with no passport. Good luck. Find your way home. They're not going to hold up four or five thousand people for a few people that didn't get it. I remember they have a group, it's called the Deck Runners Club. And every cruise has it. About fourth or fifth deck, they'll stand out and they look over the side to watch people panicking trying to get back. My wife said, That's cool. You're going to, I was a member of that club. I thought it was, I want to watch it. It reminds me of a church where we say we have the app, we have this, we have this, we have this. I had no idea. Well, in this case, you miss an announcement. In that case, you're left in a foreign country without a passport. They missed the boat. I say all that to apply this here. They had all the opportunity. But they missed it. They had the opportunity to understand that the church was for the Greeks, the he- for the Greeks and the Gentiles and the Jews to come together 
Clearly that was given in the Old Testament. There's no excuse. And in this opening letter, he says the obvious is right in front of us. What are we waiting for? It's interesting as we look at the text. We could not go through this without giving you a little background on Paul's life. I'll do my best to run through this. But I believe you cannot get the understanding that we need without understanding who Paul was. The book of Romans is in the center of the New Testament. Many writers, many commentators call it the greatest of all epistles if you're to rate them or letters. It was written probably in Corinth just prior to his trip back to Jerusalem. The church in Rome could have been made up by one church or five or seven churches. We're not sure. It was written about A.D. 80, 58, 40, uh, 54 to 58. I believe that, as one commentator said, every book is inspired by God, right? We believe all Scripture is inspired. All books are important. And by the way, the Bible is not just a books to be taken on their own. It's a complete story of redemption. Every book has a story to tell about the main story. So we understand the book of Romans is important. Paul tells us in Romans that how Christ saves, how the church is to live as redeemed people. Romans 1.1 again says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. In the time in which we're speaking today, when this book was penned, Paul was about halfway through his what we call apostolic ministry. He was finishing up his ministry in the East. According to Romans 16, he talks about what was behind him, what had been done. The ministry in Asia Minor. We had all the churches from Corinth to Thessalonica to Philippi. And now it's time to move on to the west. Even though he would head back to Jerusalem and eventually be in Rome, but not as a free man, but as a slave or as a prisoner. After his conversion, he spent much time on missionary journeys. Why move to the west? Well, one of the reasons many people believe he moved to the West, his work was done in the East. It was finished. And God's given him an open door. As we find in Romans chapter 15. In fact, Romans 15 says this, verse number 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. And he would use the Roman church as the launching pad to the West. Yes, he would. the churches in the East were not all were thriving. Some, as one person said, they were hanging on by the skin of their teeth. Others were doing well. But it was this missionary journey. So this church would be 
a help in his area. He knew that the Roman church would be a help. We find that he would then launch out into Spain. Not, not obviously the book of Acts does not continue this ministry, but he eventually would make it to Spain. If you look at the Roman Empire, and I'm not going to get into a lot of history, but you ought to understand so this is pretty important of what he was attempting to do and what he did do is in the Roman Empire, there was an area just to the north and the west of Rome called Gaul, G-A-U-L. That was an area of what we call southern France and most, uh, excuse me, France and parts of southern Spain. And that area, according to most, would be evangelized. Now think about this. This is the middle of the first century, about 54 A.D. to 58 A.D. By the end of the first century, by the end of the first century, after Paul had died, the gospel had made it all the way to the British Isles. And just a few short decades, the gospel would make it from Rome to Spain to France to the British Isles. So what Paul is saying to this group, I'm coming there, and why is he coming there? Because God has called him on to move on to the west now he was a roman citizen now this is very important and this will make sense to all of you as you try to apply this to your own self this is a miracle that god in his providential care and understanding allowed paul to just happen to come onto the scene when jesus christ at the end of jesus christ's ministry let me give you an example. He was a Roman citizen. He was a Roman citizen by birth. He was a Jew as well. Which means because he was a Roman, somebody in his family had done something great for Rome. And the emperor decreed, by the way, when you're a Roman by birth, you have rights that others do not have. This was the interlinking that he would have to connect the Jewish understanding of the gospel to the gentiles he was both he could cover both sides the gospel was for all he was a roman citizen and been given to his family this was an incredible honor and as you see when we go through this book it plays out an enormous privilege on his part look here which he's going to use all the time for instance, a Roman citizen could not be flogged. A Roman citizen had the right to immediate appeal to Caesar. So if a penalty of death, as was Paul, happened to Paul was when he was later to face a trial, he appealed to Caesar. Paul seizes and uses his Roman citizenship every time he can. Because look here, that's his background. Don't you ever negate God's providential nature in your life that there are areas in your background that God can, will, and needs to use. Paul is a classic case of that. It's interesting. Paul was proud of his Roman citizenship. It gave him freedom to move. It gave him freedom to do 
Areas of ministry that others couldn't do. He was the apostle to the Gentiles and he could not be the apostle to the Gentiles with any credibility if he wasn't Jewish. He covered both. Let me say this to all of you. I have a background. My wife has a background. And I bring to the table even my pre-salvation experiences, background, and understanding that I can use for the glory of God and witnessing understanding. And we've heard a lot of preaching, you know, old things passed away, all things become new. Yes, that's sinful, sinful ways. But you are who you are. I tell you this, I get the grace and the peace and the understanding with God. I am who I am. I'm settled in who I am. I don't have to pretend to be something I'm not. And think about where the gospel would be if we would use our backgrounds, our talents, our abilities in service. Because we have those for God's glory. Paul did that. He came to adulthood during this time of Jesus Christ. In order to be the apostle to the Gentiles, he had to be a man who was Jewish and he understood the Jewish world and he could not be the greatest ministry to the Gentiles and do it effectively. Himself was not a Jew and he had the Roman portion to give him freedom to move around and do what needed to be done. I could go down through his training with Gamiel his Jewish name was Saul. If you'd known him as a boy, you would have known him as a young man. We would not have called him Paul. We'd have called him Saul. That was his Jewish name. But he kept, he did not, he did not keep his Jewish name. He gave his Gentile name, which was Paul. Some would call that his Christian name. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 8. And I want you to give a little bit of background on what he dealt with. Acts chapter 8. We're introduced to him in Acts chapter 8. And I want to show you something. Actually, look at Acts chapter 7. We have in Acts chapter 7, in verse number um, 58, they're stoning Stephen, the first martyr in the Bible. So Stephen is being stoned by the Jews. He is being killed for his understanding and presentation of the gospel. And verse number 58 of Acts chapter 7. And they cast him out of the city, that would be Stephen, and stoned him. And the witness laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named who? Can we read it? Saul. By the way, Saul was a Jewish name. That was very important. That was a name of, that was a name that was very much a part of the tribe of Benjamin. It was a, a name given for somebody very important. Now go to chapter 8. This is the man, pre-salvation, this is the man who had this zeal for God, this zeal for understanding, this zeal for taking out this radical movement called Christianity. It says in Acts chapter 8, verse number 1, and Saul approved of his execution, that would be Stephen, Acts 8, 1. And there arose a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea 
Judah, Judea rather, Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul, look at this, was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. You must understand that's his background. You must understand that. Go to chapter 9, please. Look at verse number 1. He was not only sad, he wasn't satisfied with taking out the Jews, excuse me, the Christians in Jerusalem. He wanted to go to Damascus, another territory that was not controlled by the temple or the Jews. He wanted permission from the rabbis to go into another area and get Damascus and take them out as well. That's that's pretty mind blowing. In other words, he, he says, I've heard in Damascus. And by the way, they were warned of this, that he was coming. And I want to take them out as well. Look what he says. Let's just read it through. But Saul, verse number one, breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. He had to get permission to do that because that's in a foreign land. It would be like invading another country, so to speak. And saying, I want to take them out as well. He had to get permission from the pre, from the, excuse me, from the temple uh, hierarchy, the temple, those in the temple, the priests in the temple, in order to go to Damascus to take Christianity out of there too. Now look what it says here. So if you found any belonging to the way, the word way is capitalized, or at least it should be, W A Y, it's that's what Christians were called before they were called Christians at Antioch. So if you see the word way, it means Christians, all right? And he goes on and says this. So that if any be found belonging to the way, men or women might bring them bound, that's in prison. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord, that should be capitalized? Showing deity. And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what to do. Now, I'm not going to go through a biblical exegesis of this text, but I want to tell you this. This was a monumental moment of change. Here is a man that is a radical who is a legalist with a capital L that you will do exactly what the law and the Torah says. And I am a Roman and I am a Jew. I was raised to the little interpretation of the law in Gamaliel School in Jerusalem. And I feel I'm called from God to take him out. Now listen to me. Don't gloss over this because you've been in church your whole life and heard this story. This is a monumental change of a man. And this is the man that is going to pen this particular book, letter, epistle about grace, about mercy, 
about forgiveness and about love. 1 Corinthians 13, the classic verse on love. Do not tell me God doesn't change people. Because we have a good portion of the New Testament that we can read from a man who is out to take him out. We must hurry. I know time is getting away from us. Going down to verse 17. I won't get in the intermediary verses. The people in Damascus had been warned he was coming. Ananias, can you imagine Ananias? Oh, you want me to speak to this guy? Ananias, verse, go all the way verse 17. So Ananias, let me just read it. Ananias departed and entered the house. He finds Saul and laying his hands on him, he said, brother, I love that. By the way, we don't give Ananias enough credit for faith either. <laughs> brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled. You see it? Numa, Holy Spirit. And immediately. Are you with me? Something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. He was blinded after he had the light and he saw heard from God on the road to Damascus. And he arose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. This is the man that we're going to be walking through the next 50 messages with. This is the man that will address issues that nobody wants to talk about. This is the man whose primary emphasis will be the gospel. Martin Luther wrote this about the book of Romans, this letter is truly the most important piece of New Testament literature. It's the purest gospel. It's well worth a Christian's time, while not only to memorize it word for word, but to occupy it with it daily as though it were his daily bread for the soul. It's impossible to read or meditate on this letter too much. The more one deals with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. The book of Romans, I believe, is placed first. Of all the letters, because Paul considered it very important. It's his longest letter. It contains the longest greeting. It was writing to a church that didn't even know him personally. And he addressed the letter seeking to establish who he is. That's the Apostle Paul. Let's walk through a couple other things quickly. I believe it was in the providence of God. Al Mohler says this. Who is better to minister to the apostle? Who is better to minister as the great apostle to the Gentiles than a man whose life situation, a biography, will represent the intersection of the Greek and Jewish worlds? Isn't God good? He puts the pieces together. Number one, Paul is called by God. We talked about that. He's called by God. In ancient writing, he would go with a letter. And I'm going to hurry through this. I understand the time. But in the letter, in the in the ancient world, you got news by letters. How do we get news today? We don't get how many of you get a big news in the letter in the mailbox? Never. Only thing in the mailbox is advertisements and maybe a bill if you're not paying it online. But back then it was big news. 
to get news by my letter. It says here, in ancient writing, you identified yourself in the opening. The big announcements would come in a letter. They would be sealed. And guess what happened here, ladies and gentlemen? Do not miss this. This is important. When you got a letter, they were getting a letter from the Apostle Paul, and this letter was so important, they more than likely gathered the entire group around it and said, this is what we need to hear. People that lived 50, 100 years ago could relate to that. That's how you got your news. The news we get today is already out there. Tom Brady announced on Wednesday he was going to retire. He did not send a letter out. He put it on social media. Some of you say, who's Tom Brady? Well, if you don't know that, you're in real trouble, okay? But the point is, the ladies and gentlemen, it was a letter that was delivered. Paul is called by God. He is a bond slave. That's the lowest humble term used in the Greek language to denote a slave. Now, do miss this, and we are going to land the plane in a minute. He is a Roman. How could a Roman call himself a bond slave? Do you understand what that means? He's human, he's humble. He has humility coming in and he's calling himself, I am a Roman. I am getting rid of my pride, my arrogance, my my narcissism, and I am a bond slave to Jesus Christ. That would have hit the Roman church, boom, right between the eyes. God will get the glory. So he says this, for Roman to declare himself a buying slave, this is mind-stopping. It just doesn't happen. Paul defines his apostleship. He's separated unto the gospel. A lot of issues will be addressed. Legalism, tradition versus scripture, sexuality, grace versus works. Election versus free will. All this will be addressed. Church conflicts, Christian liberties, doctrinal hair splitting is all in this book. But let me tell you the one area, the one thing that he will address and the reason this book is important is that you must retain the understanding it's about the gospel of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Without that, the book is worthless. And I think sometimes we look at Romans, we focus on all that list I just gave you, and we forget it's about the gospel, the gospel, the good news of salvation by grace. The Reformation through Martin Luther was based upon his reading of this book. Do not forget that. It's grace. Number two, quickly, the good news was missed. I mentioned that. As we read through the text, let me just read through it. I'll put it on the screen. Which he promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of his holiness, resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. It was missed. He's telling you the culture missed it. Our culture misses it today. Christians kind of quote Christians miss it. They miss what the gospel is about. 
Even before the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that's being God coming robed in flesh in Christ, the gospel was pronounced by God in the scriptures that it was for the Gentiles as well. Let me give you a quick reference to that. In Genesis, Galatians chapter 3, Paul writes in a, in a very caustic manner to the church, the legalistic church at Galatia, and actually condemning Peter on this very issue that I cannot, you know, I have to be circumcised. I got to live for the law. I got all these duties I got to do. And Paul says this, knowing then that those, talking about should Gentiles be a part of the faith, knowing then that those of faith who are sons of Abraham and the scripture foreseen, do you listen to me? That God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel before Abraham saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. And so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Do you understand how profound this is? To a church? To a group? To the Jews of the day? It's opening up the windows to the Gospel for the whole world. Every man and woman on planet earth. Whosoever will shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All God's people said, what? Amen. It's not limited to America or the West or Baptist churches or any other group. I'll share this quickly and then I'll be done on the last point. We are in Costa Rica, a very third world. We took an hour and a half bus ride in the middle of nowhere. About halfway on the bus ride, I realized if something happens to us, my health insurance is not good in foreign countries. And goes, now you tell us. You know what I saw? We saw a Baptist church about the big as our pavilion. The sides were covered with tin that was rusty. And they praised God and they were as saved as we are every single Sunday. And they're not American and they probably worship a whole lot different than we do. Think about that and sit on that for a minute. They probably cap, clap, jump up and down and say, well, that's their culture. Great. I'm glad they do that. Paul makes it personal. He says, this is for you. Let me hurry up and read this. Through whom we have received the grace and apostleship to bring about obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. Including, what's the next word after that? You. He makes it personal who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. The gospel which Paul was sent to preach was the same system of faith and truth from the beginning and had been, predict, had been uh, predicted and partly unfolded in the writings of the, of the Old Testament. He says in verse 7, to all those that are in Rome, who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace from our God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So the gospel is centered on God's Son. He is the subject. He is the great object. By calling Jesus Christ Son, Paul says the historical person who was designated the divine Messiah in the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament. I will say this as I declare this today is if you will sit with us 
through this series, you will be biblically encouraged. It will help your biblical understanding of how the Old Testament and New Testament connect. And it will not be some Greek or Hebrew lecture. It will be as practical as practical can be to help your family. I met with Denny and some of the staff this week and it was brought to my attention. This is what we're going to do. When I am not here, whoever fills in me will continue through this series. That's okay. Unless it's a guest speaker that we bring in for a revival or something. But we're going we're gonna to go through this word, word by word, letter by letter, verse by verse. And we want our church, we may not be the biggest, we may not have the best whatever it is, but we're going to be servants, loving God, loving others, and we're going to know what the Bible says about how we're to treat each other, how we're to love each other, and how the gospel is for Erie, Pennsylvania. We live in a town where everybody wants to move somewhere else. I think I hear this all the time. Well, one day when I graduate, I'll move to Florida. One day when I graduate, how about use what you have today here? Because there is a reason you're here, just like there's a reason Paul was a Roman citizen. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing me to ramble on. It's so much I wanted to cover in so little time. I'm so excited about this book. I'm excited about the biblical temperature and the understanding of the gospel will be raised to a level that will be contagious of loving God, loving others, grace, mercy, judgment preached on for sin, legalism dealt with. Lord, help us to present the gospel. Help us to change. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give this one statement. If you were to die right now, could you say with any certainty you would go to heaven? Not because you are here, are you a Christian? If not, why don't you call out to him today? Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And if I died right now, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. But I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life and save me from my sin. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that Jesus rose from the dead according to the Scripture. That's the Gospel. To save mankind. A second area, and then we'll pray. How many of you if people look at your responses, your attitude, your disposition, we all fall short, including me. Can our culture say we're a Christian? Not because of what we do or what we don't do, but how we treat each other. Lord, help us to be love you and love others. In a minute, I'm going to ask, I'll ask Caleb if he would play the piano. And maybe you want to come forward. And acknowledge receiving Christ. Maybe you want to come forward and pray for an individual. We're going to have everybody remain seated. But if you would like to come to this altar. Why don't you come and pray. Or you can pray in your seat as well. Dear Heavenly Father. We thank you for this time. As you bless this invitation. In Christ's name I pray. Thanks for joining us today. 
and it is our prayer that the message was both encouraging and edifying for your life. If you would like more information about our church, or better yet, would like to know about how to make Jesus your personal Savior, please reach out and email us at office at wcbaptist.com. If you live in the Erie, Pennsylvania area, we would love to have you join our worship service at 10 a.m. each Sunday. Once again, thanks for joining us, and until next time, we hope you have a great day.